Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast. This is Jesse Gruber going solo on the intro because this week we are doing something a bit special. Um, In keeping with our July theme of freedom, we are reposting a sermon that Justin preached back in May of 2020, which, if you'll fondly remember, uh, was just the beginning of the height of the COVID uh, pandemic craziness. Um, And the reason that we are doing this special episode is because I have had my fifth child. Um, Maverick Carl Gruber was born on July 13th, and we are celebrating uh, being home with him this week. Um, We are taking our time, um, relishing every moment, every little baby cry. Um, So join us in celebrating that uh, and continue listening to these uh, themes on freedom that we have lined up for you. And we hope and we pray that the Lord wills that we will be back with you next week. So until then, seize the faith and enjoy the sermon. I will uh, try to be brief this morning. That That is our goal, to be brief. I'm going to do mostly a lot of reading and not a lot of expounding personally, all right? Um, I have done, you're going to get a huge, hopefully very exciting history lesson today. So this whole thing really started because... Um, I believe we as elders felt very convicted. Uh, We felt very convicted uh, about the simple fact, well, I guess it's actually two simple facts. The two simple facts are, one, there is nothing more essential to the existence of humanity than the congregating of God's established church for his worship, his glory, and his honor. Nothing. There's nothing more essential than that. And we also became uh, convicted that since that is so essential, why would we not do everything in our power to make sure we maintain that congregating? And one of the ways that cannot be done, all right, one of the ways that is not accomplished is through internet church. That is not church. It is a band-aid on an amputation. That's all it is. And there's pushback and there's arguments. Can the word go out? Absolutely. But need I remind you that if every mouth is shut up, God will have the stones cry out. The word will always go out. That doesn't mean there is not a right and a wrong way. There is not a a good and clear way and the way that you simply have to do as a band-aid on a wound much larger. And so we as elders in conviction, through the working of our deacons, through the graciousness of our hosts here, have allowed us to meet in this parking lot, and we're glad. We are thankful for that. Because this is at least more like coming together as a community of God's people, as a family in God's sight in the church. Amen? Amen. All right, I want to make a a real quick announcement, all right? One, I don't think we're going to have any problem uh, with any any, any authorities. We We are doing our best to maintain all of the rules appropriate. And so with that in mind, we can use the bathroom here, the first floor bathroom, actually, all right? But only one family at a time, if you will, all right? And so it's pretty obvious if you go in this door, if you see someone go in this door, wait until they come out <laughs> to go in. Use the bathroom. All right, very clear. If you're in the same family, you're welcome to go in at the same time. But I'm, I'm giving you the, that instruction because it, if you have to go, please feel free to use the first floor bathroom. Uh, it was sterilized, and then my very just... What is the word I'm looking for? Diligent, hardworking, industrious wife 
sterilized it yet again today, just in case. It had gotten unsterilized since no one has used it since it was sterilized. It is re-sterilized, all right, so you may use those bathrooms feeling confident, all right, and then uh, we will sterilize it again after we leave. So it's very clean. That's the bathroom announcement. I'm leaving that as it is. Um, all right, sound good? Also want to be very clear, should there any authorities come, all right, we, we are not, we are, we are not, there's no armed here. We are not fighting. That is not something we're going to be doing, all right, to be clear. We're not fighting that, all right. You do have one very uh, interesting instrument with you, though. You have a camera. Feel free to use that. I'm going to say that out loud, all right? That's on the live stream. That's in front of you, okay? We're not here to fight. Unless you can read my shirt from here and understand that we will fight the good fight. Amen? Amen. The good fight. All right. So uh, with those notes out of the way, um, the great conviction came from me when a video went viral this week, all right? A video about a gym owner in the great state of New Jersey, all right? The owner of Attilus Gym was going to, is going to open tomorrow. And so I'm very glad our church meets on Sunday because I became very convicted in that moment of him establishing, based not upon God's word and God's ordinances, but much rather, and also a good document, not of equal <laughs> importance, but a good document based on the Constitution of the United States of America stemming from the Declaration of Independence of the American colonies. That he would be opening his gym, that he has established safe protocols, and that he saw no reason why he was not as essential as any big box store, as any Wawa. It's a clear argument. It's a reasonable argument. And the conviction came, why am I a Christian? not willing to take more difficult steps to hold high God's authoritative word, even under the provisions of a man-made constitutional document, to come together with my church family. Why am I so weak as to not live under, with action, the truth of God's word? And the realization is that we have gotten soft. We, we, are, we are soft. You are soft. I am soft. We are soft. We don't understand. We don't understand what it's like to actually fight the good fight, to actually stand firm in the freedom and truth of the gospel. We don't. So I often will go to great orators, men like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, all right? The Prince of Preachers. Prince of Preachers of the 19th century. And then I'll go to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, who would have been considered the Prince of Preachers of the 20th century. And I will, I will talk about modern preachers that have, have influenced so deeply my life. Men like R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, men like uh, Mark Driscoll, men like Matt Chandler, right? These, these are even more modern times. But today I want to go back even further. I want to take you back to the 18th century. I want to take you back to men who spoke as good as any of these at the midst, at those moments before our nation began. I want you to open your eyes to the reality of men that connected the existence of the American nation with the truth of the gospel explicitly to live out freedom from sin in Christ 
and freedom from tyrants in their lives. And they saw them linked. So I'm going to read some stuff. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to, I, I, I wasn't there. None of us were there. And perhaps that is to our detriment that we do not remember these things. But you can read them. You can find them online. So if you have the notes open, you can feel free to open them up now. I will be reading large sections. All right? I also have all of these sermons. Well, there's only two that I'm reading from, but there are many more. I have both of these sermons hyperlinked. If you would like to click on the link in the notes, you can go to the full text of these sermons. I'm going to be reading excerpts from them. The first one comes from the man uh, where we started our service. Um, Reverend uh, Jacob Duche, who did the first prayer of the Continental Congress uh, that Elder Jesse read this morning. And here, he is giving an address, July 7, 1775, right near the time of that first prayer. This is him speaking to the founders of our country as the chaplain of the Continental Congress. He chooses a text to speak from. Here is the title of his sermon. The duty of standing fast in the spiritual and temporal, in our spiritual and temporal liberties. That is the title of his sermon. And the passage he chooses to speak from is Galatians 5.1. Really the latter portion of the verse, which simply says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Here's how he begins. He lays out a beautiful argument in, this, in, in the entirety of the sermon, and you are free to click on that link and find that out, but maybe just wait until we're done, church. I will, I will start off. Here is how he is communicating that he's going to lay out his argument. Here's what he says to the men facing down treason charges, seeking to establish freedom, not simply freedom from taxation, but freedom to worship, to live in land. Okay, here's what he says. The inspired author of this excellent admonition was so sensible of the invaluable blessings and comforts that resulted from, the, from that free spirit with which Jesus Christ, through his ministry, had established his Galatian converts, that he was jealous of the least attempt to destroy or even obstruct in them its life-giving operation. He could not brook the narrow spirit of those Judaizing Christians who, from the most selfish and illiberal motives, sought to force a yoke upon the necks of their Gentile brethren, which neither they themselves nor their fathers had been able to bear. These Gentiles, too, he severely reproves for not maintaining their ground and asserting their gospel freedom against the insidious devices of their brethren who only wanted to bring them into servitude, that they might glory in their flesh. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He, the author, ascribes their blindness and infatuation to some diabolical charm which had locked up the powers of their freeborn spirits and made them tamely submit to slavish, carnal ordinances which the gospel of Jesus had entirely exploded and abolished. He reminds them, by a spirited explication of a most striking allegory, that they were not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That their observance of the ceremonial law was a tribute which they were not bound to pay, or if they should be so weak as to submit to it, that it could not emancipate them from the bondage of earth and hell, but that their real freedom, their full and complete justification, their happiness, temporal and eternal, were only to be acquired by a vigorous exertion of those spiritual powers within themselves, which, through, through though riches of God's free grace in Christ Jesus, had been communicated to their souls, 
He concludes this part of his address with the truly noble and apostolical precept of my text. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Galatians 5.1 He goes on to explain that this is indeed a freedom that we understand. This freedom that Christ has set us free begins, but is not limited to, the freedom of the power and bondage of sin. Here is what he goes on to say. However severe, my dear brethren, the loss of our temporal liberties may be, there is certainly a bondage far more severe than this, yea, far more cruel than that of Israel under their Egyptian taskmasters, a bondage not only to men, but to the fallen spirits of darkness, seeking to exercise over us a joint power and dominion with our own irregular and corrupt passions. A bondage universal from which no son of Adam has ever been exempt. A tyranny whose baleful influences have been felt from the fall of man down to this very day. It has seized not only upon the body, but upon the soul. It has erected its throne in the heart and from thence imposes its arbitrary decrees. It is confined to no age or sex, no state or condition of human life, high and low, learned and unlearned. The savage and the sage are alike the victims of this despotic power, alike slaves by nature under this bondage of corruption. He was not going to abuse the text to make it say something that it did not. Firmly grounded, the reverend says, your freedom, your bondage, goes far beyond any temporal liberty you might lose. It is in your soul. The weight of sin is your bondage. Therefore, you are set free by Christ from the weight of sin, the bondage of sin, so stand firm. He goes on to explain what that means spiritually, and then he breaks it down to what it means civilly, into civil liberties. Here is what he says. This is one of the latter, um, one of the latter, uh, short paragraphs he would say that really brings to mind something he's trying to connect us with. Here's what he says. The apostle, and here he changes apostles, by the way. We were just in Galatians 5. That was Paul. Here's what he says. The apostle enjoins us to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's 1 Peter 2.15. We taught that when we began a a 10-week treatise on, on submission, right? And so he goes to now Peter. And one of the things I want to pause to point out, as these sermons roll down, as I read the next sermon, these men weave in and out of the scripture, never once mentioning a reference. Do you know why? Because they knew it. And the men they are speaking to knew it. Never once mentioning a reference. They don't need to because they knew God's word. If that's not convicting enough, I don't know what to tell you more. That is a conviction. So he says, the apostle enjoins us to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. But surely a submission to the unrighteous ordinances of unrighteous men cannot be for the Lord's sake. For, and then he quotes another reference, he loveth righteousness and his countenance beholds the things that are just, Psalms eleven seventeen. See, here he connects it to civil liberties. It cannot possibly be for righteousness' sake that you would uphold the unrighteous edicts of an unrighteous man. So we must know, right? It would not be obedience to God to follow the decrees of Hitler or Mao or Stalin. 
to base upon your action. First Peter chapter 2. I am simply upholding the magistrate that God has placed over me and his ordinances. There would be no more sinful and evil action than to uphold the whims of tyrants to the unrighteousness of God. Amen? And so we come to a question, not so much, is it wrong to disobey tyrants? Rather, what does that look like? What should they do then? They found themselves governed by new ideas of freedom, by the Magna Carta, by ideas of overthrowing magistrates that simply took all the power by themselves, by men who were collecting to themselves power that they could then dictate how people should live, and at times in defiance of the very God that they acknowledged. Leaders standing up saying, follow God. I am really him. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's where they found themselves. And so what were they to do? And they saw themselves not so much fighting for freedom so that they could work their fields. Yes, and indeed. But much more so that they could honor the God who had given them the freedom. Let me read to you from another sermon. This is a sermon preached before the Honorable Council and the Honorable House of Representatives of the Colony of Massachusetts Bay, New England. It was given May 29th, 1776, just before something else happened. This being the anniversary for the election of the Honorable Council for the Colony. It was given by Reverend Pastor Samuel West, who was a pastor of a church in Dartmouth. His text that he uses in his sermon is, Titus 3.1. Let me read to you Titus 3.1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So interesting, right? And here's how he begins, right, to outline his arguments, to outline his logical progression. All of these men, and they're giving their sermons, they're going to progress logically. He says this, In order, therefore, that we may form a right judgment of the duty and joined in our text, I shall consider the nature and design of civil government and shall show that the same principles which oblige us to submit to government do equally oblige us to submit to government, do equally oblige us to resist tyranny, or that tyranny and magistracy are so opposite to each other that where the one begins, the other ends. I shall then apply the present discourse to the grand controversy that at this day subsists between Great Britain and the American colonies. That, that right there says, that his argument is, if you think that to obey a tyrant is to honor the magistrate God has ordained, then you are faulty. Because where a tyrant begins, the God-ordained magistrate ends. He would go on to say this, Thank goodness, Samuel West, what a reverend. As our duty of obedience to the magistrate is founded upon our obligation to promote the general good, our readiness to obey lawful authority will always arise in proportion to the love and regard that we have for the welfare of the public. His argument here is that God has given us this. This is what God has called us to. We must love those in our community, those that are a part of the public. And the same love and regard for the public will inspire us with as strong a zeal to oppose tyranny as we have to obey magistracy. Our obligation to promote the public good extends as much to the opposing every exertion of arbitrary power that is injurious to the state 
as it does to the submitting to good and wholesome laws. No man, therefore, can be a good member of the magistrate. A slavish submission to tyranny is a proof of a very sordid and base mind. Such a person cannot be under the influence of any generous human sentiments, nor have a tender regard for mankind. To submit to arbitrary power and tyranny is not to love God. It is to love yourself. That is what it is. These men spoke to those, <laughs> to those in authority, those making decisions. And, and when they spoke to them, they didn't speak to them as if they were speaking to people that had power over them. They spoke to them the words of truth of God to them, that, it may, that God may impose upon them the weight of his glory and his truth. And so here's the point of today. I've shared with you enough scripture. I've done enough quoting. I have very few points and I have no more scripture for you. We have made clear and plain the truths. So what? So what do we do? What is the church to our culture? I will, I will submit to you that this is the, what the church is. The reason the church is non-essential, the reason the church can be lucky to meet in their cars, right? Thank, thank the Lord. Thank you, over, overlords, that we may meet in our cars, right? The reason the church can meet in our cars is because the church doesn't matter. It is a bunch of superstitious people meeting together, praying to a sky fairy that has no authority and power. That is what our culture thinks. That is what they think the church is. So of course Walmart's more important. Walmart has water and steak. Walmart has vegetables and band-aids. Those things are important. Sky fairies aren't important. They're not real and they don't matter. But I want you to understand something. The church began on the backs of those willing to stay inside the cities that were being destroyed by sickness and darkness, right? We know, we know, we live in a pandemic. You know what happens in a city when people get sick? Everybody gets sick because it's people on top of people, amen? We've seen it. The church, right, if you were healthy and able-bodied, you know what you did when you, people got sick in the city? Turns out the same thing people do today. You leave, you run. You go to a place, right, where you can be safer. But the church didn't do that. The church stayed to help the sick and the hurting, and they could meet some felt needs, they would give the truth of the gospel. This is why all over the scriptures you have Paul writing to husbands or wives that stayed back with their children, that got saved to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in the city as those that were able to leave would be gone. They might return later, right? To find their family worshiping Jesus the Christ. We can recall this from 1 Corinthians 7, Paul teaching, Paul explaining right? To try to live at peace with those that might return. Having abandoned responsibility for the sake of their safety, as you have now worshiped Christ, live at peace with them as best you can. They want to leave, let them leave because you have, and you have literally changed your life now. And so what is the church? So what is the church really? The church is the only place that people can come to find healing and purpose. The only place. There is no other place that should be more attended and more open and more ready than the church during any time of pandemic, of war. When you are hurt, when you are hurting, 
the church is what you need. You need the truth of the gospel. You need the community of the people of Christ. You need the Holy Spirit ministering through both, coming together. That's where healing is. That's where meaning and purpose is. There is nothing more essential because God is not a sky fairy. He is the sovereign creator and ruler of all. He looks down with love, enters our mess, and brings salvation. He puts himself on the cross, stays there, and is murdered by the weight of our sin because of the love that he holds. Doesn't stay dead, rises again, because death cannot hold the victorious God to bring salvation from sin and death to make righteous those that are his people. That is what people need. And so every day is different. And maybe that's where we really need to get to. This is it. Last point. We all need to grab the crowbar. We need the crowbar. Why? Three points. We need to pry our heads from our own rectums. Christians, it's a dark place. It stinks. It's disgusting. Get your head out of there. We began our little church in quarantine with lots of interactions and videos and views on some sort of ethereal internet church. But then last week, nothing. Very little. No interaction. Why? We're not coming together. I'm sitting behind a webcam and I'm teaching the word of God. It's not church. It's not church. It's distraction. The dog's barking. The kids are everywhere. Right? You need to cook breakfast. You need to cook lunch. The coffee pot beeps. The laundry needs to be done. And I hear the dryer beeping. I need to fold clothes. You're distracted a million ways. I'm going to clean the kitchen for the thousandth time. Right? On this, April the 2000th of 2020. Right? That's what happens. That's what happens at, at Quarantine Internet Church. And that is not church family. Because we are so focused on the minutiae of our mundaneness, we forget to exalt God in the mundane. So we need to get our heads out of our butts. Because we are the literal embodiment of the glory of God. He has saved you and given righteousness to you, the same spirit that was in Christ you have. And you can't even be bothered to watch a video on the internet. How are you going to change the culture, church family? How are you going to impact those around you? So no more. We're here. We're here now. This is going to keep developing. We're going to get better at it. And this is what we're going to do. This is step one. Because we all have opportunity. People are trapped at home. You know who's home? Your neighbor's. They're all home. Get to know them. Don't get to know them because it's nice to know your neighbors. Get to know them because you know what? It's a quarantine. And there's nothing they need more than the glorious gospel of your Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we need to pry. Next, as you grab the crowbar, we need to pry our tongues from their self-imposed knots. Speak the truth. 
You know, you don't, I don't want you to get in fight over civil liberties. I want you to get in fights over the reality that people need one thing, the gospel. That's the good fight. Let's fight that fight. Now, that fight may lead you to lead some civil liberties fights. That may lead you, and by the way, when I say fights, I want you to understand something. The men that were just being preached to, they weren't having fights like over, like, internet trolls, right? They weren't like, oh, the Constitution says, right? They were literally writing the Constitution. Not at that time. First, they were doing the Declaration of Independence, all right? They were putting their time, their fortunes, and their lives on the line to say something is higher than you, and it is God. That's what they were willing to say. Their fights are not like our fights. <laughs> their fights are not like our little typey, typey, typey space bar. That's not, that's not the same thing. And so I would much rather you have the good fight against the sin and oppression that is in the heart of your neighbor, right? With the glorious, shining gospel of Christ. Do that. So you have to get your tongue loose from the knots, right? Of, of fear, inadequacy. Maybe your tongue is, is totally not knotted. Maybe it's just so fat from decadence, right? And comfortability. We need to speak the truth to those around us. Sure, social media, fine. Do that too. But as you take a walk, as you try to social distance on your walk, that doesn't mean you can't speak. There's people that you see and know and love. There's people that look around themselves and also know they need something more. They're outside. You know why? Because no one was designed, was meant to be by themselves inside. <laughs> That's the truth. You were created by God who is in community for all of every time and existence, right? To be in community. Here's the last point. Get the crowbar and pry our hearts from the jaws of fear and the king of safety. We, <laughs> we think, right? Our culture thinks, and, and, and dare I say we at times think, that somehow there are people that can keep us safer then God has, has kept his people safe from the beginning of time. We are willing to defer, right, to some authority figure our safety. No. No, God, God is the God over. And he, he is your safety. Amen. He is your safety whether you have a disease or whether you catch a virus, or whether you lose your job, Amen. Your, your, your government doesn't really care like God that you, you broke your leg and can't go to work. They don't. The couple bones they throw you, you think that's the caring? That's not caring. God cares. He is your safety. He knows. He loves you through every circumstance, good and bad, high and low. And so I want you to start thinking about things that may not be the safest for you, but maybe the call of God to your life. That, that is what you are to do. No, no, no. God wants me to be wise. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? Sometimes the wisdom, lo wisdom looks like the cross. How about that? 
I mean, was it wise for God to come down and subject himself to the actual creation that he made? For was it wise for the, for, for the deity of all sovereignty to adjoin himself to the mud people that he made? To be hung on a cross, to die such a horrible, right? And completely just murderous death? Sometimes safety is the cross. That's the truth. And so we stand. We stand on the shoulders of giants. And we look around and we think, my goodness, look how high and mighty we are. Not realizing that as we speak, the spittle flows down our chin, over our beards. If you're, not if you're a lady, right? Over our, over our beards and into the eyes of those that hold us up. And that is the truth of those that built this country. That is also the truth of those who have gone before us to their deaths, speaking the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can barely muster up enough energy to click on a link to watch a video. My gosh, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us? That's it. I'm done. It's the last point. There's no response song because, look, we're just figuring this out. <laughs> what I would ask you is this. These concepts, these thoughts, this is, these are not new. They're as old as those that are willing to follow Christ have always spoken as truth. They are the things that men and women before us, whole families together, were willing to put their lives in the hands of God where true security and safety and freedom is found. Because what is this place? I'm telling you, a virus could break out and wipe us all out. Right? What are we? You think this is it? And yet you're willing to stand on some hill to die for that safety? Instead of the safety of the eternal souls of those whom you love and care for that are around you? My goodness. Let's respond that way. That's the truth I need. It's the truth you need. That's the life we need to live. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to close us. And this is our service. Holy God in heaven, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here and speak truth to people that are willing to sit there and hear it. And that, Lord Jesus, that is a glorious thing. I'm not perfect. I fail. These words come to me as much as they go out to them. May we hold high your glorious gospel truth to everyone we see, everyone we know, those who we come to contact with, and yes, those maybe even, Lord God, you would bring us to grace on some sort of social media platform. But Lord God, may we, Lord Jesus, using the crowbar of your Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God, get ourselves out of the way, our desires, our ideas, our truth. And Lord God, supplant that with your ideas, your desires, and your truth. Holy God, put that in the hearts of your church and your people that we may affect true and deep and lasting change in the lives of those around us. Lord God, your church never set off to change the culture. It set off to preach the gospel. Lord God, may that be what your church is all about. It's in your holy name that we pray and speak this. Amen. Okay, you can keep me on. I just want to...